Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, be merciful to us that we may hear and understand your word. Grant us by your mercies to receive, believe, and live according to your word. Please let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask this in your Son's name, Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Let us once again hear our gospel reading so that we can be reminded of it as we go through this text today. We're reading from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Today, more than ever, the faithful people of God, the church, stand in stark contrast to the world. Our behaviors and lifestyles do not look like our neighbors and co-workers. Over the last 50 years, we have seen a significant shift in our country from being largely a Christian nation that was generally supportive of Christians and ethics formed from the Bible. Now those in this country who hate God and his word are engaging in a systematic escalation of their sinful agenda to the level that they now persecute, vilify, and even threaten the loss of livelihood if Christians do not acknowledge and support their views, actions, and lifestyles. Today, militant secularists are trying to impose their views on Christians. In today's passage, Jesus warns his hearers that day and all of us today that we are his covenant people and we will be persecuted when we follow him. When we follow him, we will have the impact in the world around us by being salt and light. If we do not follow Jesus, then all the religious things that we do will be worthless, and we will be trampled upon in judgment. Now, I pause right there because I want us to think about this. I don't know if you, were, if, if you heard uh, our passage in Isaiah 58, but, but right there what's going on in that passage is that the people are doing fasting and religious things, but they are oppressing people all the while. They're saying, Oh, we do these special fasts and we do all these things for God. Why are you not coming near? Why are you not bringing the blessings? And God says that's because 
you have forgotten to do what I have told you to do. Did I call this fast? Did I do this thing? Did I say that you should behave in this manner? And of course not. What they had done is they had simply said, we're going to create a worship centered around Yahweh. Well, we want others to think it's centered around Yahweh, but in actuality, it is centered around what I desire. And in that, I'm going to oppress others. I am going to sin against God and my fellow man. I want us to think about that in correlation to what we're looking at in the scriptures here today in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the first thing that I want us to understand is, is that Jesus is speaking to all of the hearers that day, those to whom he had called. Jesus uses the word you, but in fact, we see that it is the plural. We must remember that even though we have breaks and subtitles in our scriptures, that in, this, in the case of our passage that we are looking at today, that it is one sermon with a flow, and it is connected. Today's passage is coming right at the end of the Beatitudes that we studied last week. Additionally, we must note here that in this transition that we see in the first eight Beatitudes that Jesus speaks in the third person, saying, blessed is this thing and this person, and then it says he refers to them saying theirs and they. We see this blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the ninth beatitude, Jesus switches to the second person by saying you. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is speaking to the collective or the congregation, you. You here in Greek is plural. And in its modern English, it is the equivalent of the southern y'all. I know you've heard me say this before, but it's really important that we try to understand this and see this in the scriptures. All too often, we try to personalize it that God is speaking just to me, and it has no connection to anyone else. But many times in the scriptures, we have to understand that he is speaking to y'all, to us as his people, collectively as the congregation of God that is the church. These two sections, the Beatitudes and today's reading, are connected in that Jesus is addressing the community, the persecuted church that is the salt and the light. We, the church, are an organized people to be a city on a hill that is to be clearly seen by the light that emanates from it. When we take a stand for righteousness and firmly on God's word, we stand out against the unbelieving world. This will bring persecution we must remember that the hatred of the world is fundamentally against jesus he is the target it is those who do not want to submit to god that reject jesus as the only way to be reconciled to god who knowing they cannot reach god instead persecute his people everyone who lives like christ will suffer persecution we see that in second timothy chapter 3 where it says this in verse 12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The only way to avoid persecution is to compromise and to be unfaithful to the Lord, like the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. 
They sought the approval and affirmation of the world around them. When we seek the unbelieving world's approval and affirmation, we are living to please the idols of men. We become like the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus warns us not to be like them, but to live in a way that pleases the Lord. We need to understand that the salt that Jesus is speaking of here would have caused his hearers to think about salt in the Old Testament and where it was used. And you see, salt was part of the covenant sacrifices, the blessings and the curses that come with the covenant of God. Jesus begins in this passage by saying, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus' hearers would have remembered the importance of the salt of the covenant as described in the sacrifices of worship. In Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, it says this, In every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. But it doesn't stop there. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. And then it says, With all your offerings you shall offer salt. The sacrifices were a food rite. The salt made the food savory before God. God ate the sacrifices in the fire of the altar, and the salt seasons God's food. The salt of the covenant would make it a sweet aroma. And we see this in Leviticus 1, Leviticus 2, and in Numbers 15. We even see in the New Testament that we as God's people are being and can be a sweet-smelling aroma. We see that in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul speaks to the gifts that are being given as a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Excuse me, well-pleasing to God. We also see that there's an application here in Romans 12, and we'll cover that in a little bit. But it is important for us to understand that this salt that is a pleasing aroma before God is both personal and corporate. That is, the whole congregation. We are all to be savory to God. When we live pleasing to God, walking in obedience to His Word, we become as the sweet-smelling aroma to God. We can only walk in obedience to God when He has changed us and preserved us by the salt of His covenant. When we live pleasing to God, we please God, and we bring change to the world. The salt symbolizes the perpetual character of God's covenant to his people. Prior to refrigeration, salt was the great preservative around the world. The salt of the covenant symbolizes the continuation and preservation of God's covenant. God is the faithful one who calls us to his covenant promises in his co- In his covenant, God calls us to obedience to his holy word. Ordinarily, when we remember the covenant, we remember it in the ways in which we are blessed. We need to remember and not neglect that the covenant comes with blessings and curses. We see this in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. God brings his blessings to his people. But if we despise his blessing and disobey him, There are commensurate curses that fall upon the disobedient. Praise be to God for his mercy that he bestows upon the repentant his blessings. And that is emphasized in Deuteronomy 30. 
Salt can also be used to bring destruction and to make things useless. We see that God turns the plains in Sodom and Gomorrah into fields of salt of judgment. Or in God's judgment towards people. Here in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 6. For he that is the wicked shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited inhabited if we're not different from unbelievers if we despise what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and walk in rebellion and compromise we lose our saltiness we will neither please God nor bring change to the world we will be thrown out and trampled upon. You know, the scribes and Pharisees saw the fulfillment of this at the destruction of the temple and all of Jerusalem, where the Romans destroyed the city and the temple and trampled all over them. I think it is important for us to remember, too, in Romans chapter 12, this whole concept of we are the living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. When we are the pleasing salt of the covenant to God, we bring change to the world. The world is transformed. In some ways, it brings common grace to the world. That is, that the goodness of God spills over from his people and brings good to the lost. But more importantly, we bring the sacrificial salt and fire that brings the saving judgment of God to the world. Jesus goes on to take another image for us. And for his disciples to understand the recognizable difference of God's people, but also the transformational impact of faithful people. He says this in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus here is moving from the altar, where the salt is being used, to the holy place where the lamps light up the temple. In earlier Epiphany scripture readings, which is where Jesus is revealed as the light and bringing light, we have seen that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, which tells us that Jesus' coming brought the light to the darkened parts of Israel and the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. The people are dark and in gloom. And these hearers would have considered Jesus' teaching on the light in creational language as well that we see in Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Darkness covered everything in creation, even the depths. And then God spoke his word, let there be light. And the word of God drove the darkness away. 
God shone his light in creation, and then God has shown his light to men by sending Jesus. Consider John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and as one commentator has said, Jesus sent his Spirit to be with his people, and through the oil of the Spirit, the church becomes the lampstand to shine the light of God to the world. When God created the world, he designed it as his temple. We are the lampstand in his temple, shining light to the whole house. And now it looks like a city on a hill, bringing a light to the whole world. In this way, the nations will praise and give glory to God. We see this very imagery in Revelation with the lampstands of the church being told to live righteously and not to cover their lights with sin, or judgment will come to the darkened lamp. We also see that the new Jerusalem brings light and life and healing to the nations. Here we need to see that the church is the new Israel bringing salt and the light of God to all nations. You know, good works, Jesus doesn't leave us sitting here wondering what are these good, what, what, what does it mean to be salt and light? But he, in fact, says that the good works are the salt and light. In verse 16, Jesus plainly tells us this, Let your light so shine before men that they may, what? See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus expects us to do good works that cause others to glorify God. It is reflective of the passage we read recently in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus points to mercies in Matthew chapter 25 as distinguishable actions of his people. And you're familiar with that passage. It is the day of judgment, and God speaks as he separates the people, and he says this in verse 34, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did you see sick? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Two points can be made here. First, the most confusing thing about Christians in the Roman world and throughout history has been, has been that the pagans were amazed that Christians dealt with people different from themselves in their mercies, kindness, and even financial practices. For the Roman could understand loving your family or your tribe or your clan in a just manner, but it was unimaginable to love others so different from themselves in a just and righteous manner. The world hates people who are different than they are. If you're not sure about this, just disagree with them and see how they respond. God's people, the church, do not act this way. We do not keep our membership in the tribe or family. 
Every tribe and country and people and nation are welcomed who are baptized and come to Jesus. This is the mark of the church. We see all nations in Christ as our family without distinction. As the light and salt, the priests to the nations, we should in our humble gratitude towards God for his redemption in Christ Jesus do justly and love being merciful to all men. Second, when we consider Matthew 25 and the Beatitudes together, we see that we should feed both physical hunger and the hunger that only Jesus can satisfy. God calls his people to do all these things that bring salt and light so that others will see the light and praise God. We are reminded of our call today to one another in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now we also see that in this passage that Jesus talks about the fact that he fulfills all things in the word of God. Now here's the thing. God fulfills things in ways that we don't expect, and certainly not in ways that the people of the day were thinking of, Israel at the time. Now, this is important because we have the, the, the ability, we have retrospect. Some of you guys have heard this your whole life, right? They were expecting this, but Jesus was coming to save them this way. And, and here's the thing. We tend to look back at them and say, mm-mm-mm, why couldn't they just get it, okay? But sometimes we do the very same thing. We say God's going to work in this fashion, and we're fashioning our own ways to worship God, to be obedient to God, to call our own ways of behavior that is in addition to Scripture and not the way that the Word of God outlines. Jesus brings fulfillment in ways that his hearers do not expect. Israel had been looking for deliverance. Have you ever looked for deliverance? Has it always come the way that you thought it should? Yet God delivers you from what you didn't see. They were looking for a Messiah who would conquer Israel's oppressors. That is, Herod the Edomite was king over them. That's Esau's people. And especially, they wanted deliverance from the pagan Romans. They, in fact, did need deliverance, but their true oppressor was their own sin. The Jews were going to be surprised. Some were thinking that Jesus was changing the law and the prophets. And Jesus responds with a resounding, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Matthew shows us in his uses of the word, fulfill, that it comes with a surprise or twist. Jesus affirms that he will complete the law and the prophets. But God's ways are different than ours, and he completes his work by saving us from our sins and putting all of our sins and, divert, and deserved wrath upon Jesus. Jesus conquers from the cross. This is not what we expected at all. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, 
foolishness. It is hard sometimes for us to simply believe that all of our sin and all of the wrath of God for our sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. It's hard for us to think about that. We don't believe that. Like, how could that be? Certainly, I need to do something to be saved. No, people of God, you're only saved through Christ in so much as that he took your sin and took God's wrath upon himself. We need to make ourselves submissive to God's word. Jesus makes it clear that he is fulfilling the law and not changing the law. And he says this in verse 18, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, do you hear that grievousness? Have we ever taught someone to break commandments? Even the least of the commandments of God? shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In the understanding of the hearers, they considered how they would fulfill all the law. Jesus now brings a stark warning about whose righteousness they should copy and follow. He says this in verse 24, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees are following all kinds of made man verbal laws that they wanted to follow and not God's actual laws. And they were very good at it. They had all kinds of rituals and they looked good on the outside. Jesus in the remaining part of the Sermon on the Mount, will stand firmly on following obediently the clear intent of God's law. We need not follow others, but we should follow Christ. Jesus is our example, and we should follow him. Jesus is going to continue in his sermon and bring clear distinctions between the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes and God's righteousness. Jesus will not only speak against their proud and false piety, but he will live righteously without sin, preaching and acting with mercy, so that the barriers to drawing near to God would be removed. Jesus completes this in his suffering, death on the cross, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus, for the world, acts with justice and mercy, with the utmost humility that we might be reconciled to God. We should do as Jesus says in Matthew 16. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. People of God, we are called to be the salt and light to the world, that all the nations will give glory to our Father in Christ Jesus. If we are to go along with the world and to seek to blend into it, to keep a low profile and not making any waves, We are worthless. We are to follow Christ. We are called to be faithful, to stand fearlessly on God's word and follow it. If we are to be salt and light, we must demonstrate true righteousness to the world through fellowship and hospitality and standing against sin and death and showing 
compassion. Nothing else is the kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand these things. Give us ears to hear the very words of Jesus that Israel refused to hear. Help us to hear and grant us grace to repent and be faithful to you. Help us in our weakness. Help us in our lack of understanding. Help us in our difficulty of turning away from our own desires to serve others. We pray that we will be more faithful in you so that we may show forth your praises as the one who gives up his life for the life of others. Be merciful to us so that we can bring light and life to the world. For it is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.